0: Bombus. big comfort for everyone. Go to Bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
1: Hello and welcome to the January edition of Signal, a Medianet podcast. I'm James Poulter. Every month we will go beneath the headlines and behind the scenes with the people and players that are shaping the media world with in-depth interviews with Christian producers, broadcasters and content creators who are crafting our viewing, listening and reading habits in the UK and beyond. Later on in today's episode, I'll be catching up with Tim Plimming about his extensive career as a producer within the BBC and his views on the shifting role of the corporation in the era of Facebook, fake news and of course, Donald Trump. Joining me here in the studio this month is Ruth Jackson, Deputy Editor of Premier Youth and Children's Work, which is uh, new for 2017. Hi, Ruth. Hello. Happy New Year to you. First, we're going to take a quick look back to Christmas in the New Year period, stuff that we've seen, some of the stuff that we thought was um, interesting, and uh, we're going to also have a little chat about what's coming up in 2017. So uh, first of all, Ruth, what was your Christmas like?
2: It was good. It was quite hectic. I think it's fair to say that Christmas in my family is never particularly restful. Um, My family is made up entirely of extroverts, so it's just (laughs) this quite loud and um yeah lots of raucous
1: so there wasn't a kind of the quiet moment sitting down to watch the doctor who special
2: no we did watch the queen's speech okay. which i thought was you know that was pretty impressive to get everyone to sit down even for like a minute that was yes, quite an impressive I, know. I think we
1: all got to the end of 2016 worrying whether or not she was going to still be with us which i think we're all <laughs> quite happy about oh, well done, the queen que- the queenie cold which seems to now become the uh, the media zeitgeist for yes. what it's like to have the sniffles yeah. seems to still be doing the round. so at time of recording the queen is still live and we're very happy about that <laughs> It was an interesting Queen's speech this year as well, mm. actually, because it was, you know, very, I think, um, dedicated to kind of the the forgotten amongst us, mm. and the, uh, uh, that kind of really passionate Christian message came through again. Yeah. It's amazing to have her, isn't it? Well, yeah, like, and I,
2: a- I feel like she's got sort of more and more explicitly Christian, which is which is brilliant, and um, and I guess a lot of the celebrations around her ninetieth birthday earlier in the summer were quite sort of laced with Christian commentary and things like that which is great as well so yeah yeah, we were all like yay go Queenie it's
1: been really interesting to see how the BBC particularly have had to kind of deal with that as Mm. it's become more over over time isn't Mm. it you know you kind of think that you know that was never obviously they've always had a kind of impetus to to present that in the real way Mm. but it's it's really coming through a lot more strongly so and in terms of the kind of the news and stuff as well that's been a real kind of 2016 was a really interesting year i Mm. thought Mm. uh for the news i think we we all know and we've all spoken about it that the media has spoken about it ad nauseum about you know how wrong the polls were Mm. um and this kind of year of kind of post-truth has been a, a really interesting one For me, I think it's when we were looking back over kind of some of the stories that kind of came out, I think one of the big trends for 2016, which I hope doesn't continue into 2017, was this whole kind of, fascination with the celebrity death Mm. cycle Mm. sad obviously and for each one of those you know kind of lives and families we have to kind of be you know kind of compassionate for but at the same time a really interesting thing of this kind of almost fetishization of this kind Mm. of celebrity death and it becoming the thing that you know my apple watch was kind of beeping with uh, you know news alerts every couple of weeks with this person has passed away which i think is really it's a sad thing but i just wonder are we placing maybe too much emphasis do you know what I mean, on on these celebrities that perhaps, I don't know when the last time you thought of X name, mm. you know, it suddenly becomes a, a kind of big thing for you. I suppose it obviously peaked over Christmas with, with what happened with George Michael and also with, with Carrie Fisher and her mother as well. So uh, how did you kind of feel about that when it was happening? It's
2: interesting, isn't it? Because I think we feel like we know celebrities, don't we? It, you know, if it's particularly if it's someone you've grown up with, so someone like Carrie Fisher, if you were really into Star Wars as a kid, it, you know, in some senses, you do feel like someone you know has died, so I can completely understand that. But there's definitely a balance to be struck as well because, you know, when you've got a terrorist attack in Turkey or, you know, another kind of awful thing where hundreds, thousands of lives are being lost, it feels disproportionate to be um, leading with a story about a celebrity and not um not leading with a story of like grave humanitarian crisis so <clears throat> you know something like the evacuation of syria was like w- was a big story but that in in some senses that that's a huge story the evacuation of hundreds of thousands exactly. of people
3: yeah. in
2: 2016 in some senses it was quite a terrifying year you know hate crime went up 75% after Brexit, whatever you agree, you know, whether you agree with the decision or not. Um, And and in some sense, you know, with everything that was going on in America, it did just feel quite a fractious, divisive year. And in some senses, those celebrity deaths were like an epitomization of everything that was worrying and terrifying and unknown and all of that. So in some ways, it wasn't necessarily just the deaths themselves. It was kind of what that represented. Mm. And so I spoke at Christmas at our carol service about, you know, 2016 hasn't particularly been a good year for most people people um and and the need for peace within that so i think there is a sense in kind of owning that actually 2016 yes we can blame 2016 for all of the <laughs> ills in society yeah but there is a sense in kind of owning it probably wasn't a particularly good year but yeah. actually we have we have hope through you know
1: yeah i, I think you yeah, know we have hope for the 17 it's a really interesting one as we look forward this year i think i was talking to someone over the christmas period and just saying that well 2016 you know look at these kind of more bigger issues mm. um to kind of bring the, the lens out a little bit but It was the year that we voted to um, leave uh the european union but it's not the year we've done it and that's yeah. still to come it was the year that we voted or well, that the american uh, public voted in donald trump but it's not the year that he's come into mm. power so there are these other kind of big consequential mm. things that while those decisions were made in 2016 2017 holds them yet yeah. to come yeah. um and there's this kind of duty of care that i think the news media and reporting and generally uh, not least for christians who are working in that space have as we kind of go into this year to really now think okay well those decisions may have been made but now's the time to actually report on them and make sure we go below that kind of that that yeah. headline you know for yeah. every one of those celebrity deaths that happened or you know the amount of vitriol that was kind of being heaped at trump from all different sides of the um of the political spectrum there's an awful lot of other kind of things that were going on below that you know if you particularly if you look in the us uh, you know the the lack of reporting of things like the, what was being done to abortion laws at state yeah. level or what was happening to kind of um you know changes in kind of healthcare and education provision all that stuff was bubbling away and there was being very, very little reporting kind of going on at a local level and the same that's been kind of going on over here as well and whilst we have kind of fascinated with this kind of culture of celebrity thing which mm. is not new, I suppose, but really did seem to kind of hit a peak last year which i thought was kind of particularly fascinating now as you're looking towards 2017 you guys have just changed up your kind of format and you know two magazines becoming one tell us a little bit about kind of what's happening with that here at premier
2: so um yeah so we were before we were doing a magazine specifically for youth workers and a magazine for children's workers and sort of more and more we were seeing that actually there's such a crossover and what was an issue for. you know, was for a teenager, so something like pornography or mental health, things like that, is is more and more becoming an issue for a seven, eight, nine-year-old, yeah. um, which in itself is terrifying, but actually means that children's workers and youth workers kind of need to be talking to each other a little bit more, and more and more with budget cuts and things like that, youth workers are quite often doing the children's workers role anyway, or they're family workers, or they're family and community workers. So it kind of made sense for us to bring bring the two together and that's not to say that we don't think they're really important disciplines by themselves we do so there's going to be stuff that's explicitly for youth workers explicitly for children's workers particularly on more kind of curriculum based resources mm. um, But and the idea is that it's more than a magazine so we're not actually calling it Premier Youth and Children's Work magazine we're calling it Premier Youth and Children's Work um, so we'll have blogs we'll have online stuff we'll have a podcast um, and the idea is that hopefully we won't just be reaching the youth workers and the children's workers we'll be reaching the pastors the vicars the parents Everyone involved in Young and Children, which which is everyone.
1: Yeah, and I suppose that's one of the interesting things for you guys, right, is that your audience actually now broadens out far further than the dedicated, quote-unquote, Youth or children's worker, because so many people are doubling up on those jobs as well.
2: Yeah, and I think actually there's the age-old saying that it takes a whole church to raise a child, and I think that's really been our vision behind it as well. Is that you could give this to just you know the old lady who sits at the back and thinks she's got nothing to do with young people. You can give it to her and be like, look, this is what's going on. You know, she's probably not going to read it quite as rigorously as a youth worker, yeah. But just so that she's aware of what's going on, so she can pray for the young people, even if she's not kind of talking to them.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. And one of the things that you guys have been doing for a little while now, but you're doing again in, in this kind of new format is this kind of index of horror (laughs) or or potentially there's good and evil to it so just tell us a little bit about that it's really interesting
2: yeah so at the back of every magazine we do something called the axis of good and evil where we rate um, how useful something is for youth and children's ministry so at the top it's really useful at the bottom it's not useful Um, and then right to left is great and bad and we do it through um, for sort of cultural things so we've done it for apps we've done it for websites done it for video games that kind of thing but what we did in the most recent issue was looking back on 2000 2016 um and what has been useful for so there's obviously some stuff that's really bad but has been quite useful for youth ministry so actually dead celebrities fell in that category in the top left because yes that's a really sad thing and a really bad thing but it's been a helpful way to talk about death to talk about celebrity culture to talk about that sort of thing with with young people and children
1: and i suppose when you're talking with obviously you guys are out there talking with youth workers and children workers as much do you feel that that whole kind of access to the media now as it's kind of changing for kids is becoming something that they're much more aware you know, these stories of like what's happening in the US with Brexit with Trump mm-hmm. those are things that you've now got on this axis in their article yeah. how much do you kind of get a sense from those guys that that, that dialogue is already happening that kids are coming and asking questions about these big things they're seeing in the media
2: yeah I think so I mean I don't know so much about because obviously some children and young people are much more likely to go to their youth workers and children's workers than others and I guess some goes to their parents but in terms of them definitely knowing much more than s- say you know you alright well I'm speaking for myself here but I I certainly didn't other than news round I really had no other access to kind of news outlets and you certainly didn't have it on your phone it certainly wasn't being talked about in the playground in the way that it is for our young people now Mm. so there's certainly much more of an awareness of whether it's news or whether it's kind of news via Facebook and, and Twitter and what everyone else is talking about, and therefore in some sense is sort of potentially distorted news, um, there is definitely much more of an awareness. So youth workers and children's workers are definitely realising that there's much more of a need to, even if they're not coming to them, to ask about those things, to kind of bring those topics up.
1: Well, whether it's on the good or the evil axis, I hope that the uh, 2017 outlook next year will be slightly more on the positive end um, that would be when good. we come to it. <laughs> well, if you want to share your 2016 highlights with us or you're looking forward to 2017, get in touch. You can let the, uh, do that by tweeting at the media net with hashtag signal or you can visit the media net on Facebook as well. Okay, next up, I recently caught up with Tim Plimming, who recently left the BBC after boomeranging back to the corporation to support with their 2015 World War I series after holding roles at both the British Museum and Nesta. Amongst an extensive and wide-ranging career, Tim was responsible for the digital output of the BBC during London 2012 Olympic Games, and was part of negotiations on charter renewal at the historic institution. These days, he plies his trade with brands and companies that are looking to harness content and digital, and we started out by discussing his views on the recent fake news phenomena and the potential role places like the BBC may have in helping restore integrity to the news in 2017
4: and beyond yeah so i spent a lot of time at the bbc particularly in my last few years there really i i think at the bbc they were well aware of how fast this this landscape is changing and i think they were lo- really looking at, at the new broadcasters who were coming through and those are everything from from brands or organisations or, or like the British Museum and, and I did some interesting projects when I was at the British Museum with the BBC but the BBC was really aware that, that I, I suppose the real golden days for them as being a broadcaster and and controller of, of the of the means to broadcast and uh, a, a gatekeeper really to what people saw. BBC had really realised that that world was changing and I was involved in a lot of work at the BBC particularly ahead of chartering you'll Looking at what that meant for the BBC uh, in the years to come, uh, you know, if, if everyone was going to be able to be a broadcaster, what what therefore the role of the BBC? And I was on a, a number of working groups of the BBC, and in fact still sit on a board, uh, an advisory board at the BBC, just helping. I guess that organisation really think, okay, well, what 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 the BBC, what role for the BBC in in this changing world? Because um, I I remain passionate about the BBC and the importance of having an organisation like the BBC, but you know, its role will change as this whole host of, of new entrants uh, become, become broadcasters in their own right.
1: And it's not just the change in media platforms and the types of output that they've had to produce, but also they've had to evolve in this changing climate of what we consider to be kind of fair and reasonable and balanced broadcasting as well. How, how have you seen that kind of role evolving now in 2017 and beyond, this idea that, that you can truly be fair and balanced when you also have that pressure to be first, right?
4: Yeah, no, that's right. And and um, in, in some ways the role of the BBC, I mean from my view, the role of the BBC becomes even more important. You know, in a world of, of twenty sixteen where we towards the end of twenty sixteen were really, you know, thinking and talking hugely around fake news. Um, you know, uh, whether that's in relation to the referendum uh, or, 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 the, or the US elections. You know, fake news suddenly became the thing that everyone was talking about at the end of 2016. And therefore, the role of the BBC, it seems to me, just becomes more and more important. Uh, 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 chatting, um, you know, with, with some friends, I was noticing that, that actually the BBC are putting more and more investment into particularly some of that fact checking work uh, that, that it did and, and I think some of those fact-checking services that the BBC had both for the referendum and for the US election you know were vitally important and perhaps that gave the BBC a real glimpse of the role it, it, it can play because you know the the whole nature of truth and and what is truth and what, what are the facts that people can rely on. You know, I think people at the end of 2016 generally became became quite alarmed at actually who can we trust and what is true. And, um, you know, that, that role, that fact checking role that the BBC and, and you know, a, a range of other broadcasters and publishers around the world were aiming to, to play, um, you know, just, just becomes, certainly from my view, just becomes more and more important
1: not just important but increasingly more difficult though right in the current kind of state of uh, things staying on top of that and actually being able to say yeah. that our facts are the right ones um or at least the ones that should be listened to that's surely that's becoming a lot yeah more difficult for it,
4: well. it, it 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 does become more difficult and yet i think it becomes you know remember the brands like the bbc still have you know enormously high levels of trust from audiences around the world um you know the challenge i suppose is really making sure that the distribution partnerships are there so that so that your story can be out there i was reading you know some of the numbers that entirely fake stories we're doing you know we're right up there with uh, you know true stories um, and I suppose the challenge is really a distribution challenge you know the the um, you know the BBC and, and other organisations around the, the world that share those share those values are still you know performing in brilliantly in terms of trust they have from audiences the challenge really is a, is a distribution challenge and making sure you know that whether that is on social channels you know primarily um or other digital platforms that that actually your content is there and and first to be seen by audiences
1: how how much of this um or how much weight do you put on the producers versus these platforms in taking responsibility for some of these issues around the fake news stuff? Obviously, we've seen in recent weeks Facebook uh, take some measures by initiating new kind of journalism partnerships Mm. and and bringing, in fact, checkers of their own. Mm. Is is this just kind of Mark Zuckerberg being in denial that he is actually a media entity?
4: Mm. I mean, again, it's a personal view here, but my my personal view is that those...
0: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase.
4: Um, uh, you know, the particularly social channels and Facebook, if we're going to talk about it as as an example, you know, have you know, surely they have become, um, you know, broadcast channels as we would have we would have known them and you know it, it will have to be the case surely that regulation will will follow that and you know particularly uh, uh, amongst you know 16 to 24 year olds uh you know lots of studies saying that that they are actually receiving you know their news primarily through facebook or other or other social channels and you know th- so those social channels have essentially in in our lifetime you know grown to become those kind of Broadcast channels as we would have known, and uh, and surely you know regulation will will have to follow. And I think, yeah, I think I think Facebook would you know are, are would would be in denial if they if they said that you know they had no obligation essentially as the as the platform that that. That can't be the case. I mean, they
1: have tried to play that card for a while, right, of being able to say, well, it's not just, it's not us, it's the, the users on our platform. We're, you know, guarded by various safe harbour rules that kind of keep us free from that worry. Yeah. yeah. Would you level that there is a duty of care to their users on on you know, those kind of platforms that are, you know, we, we fight for freedom of speech, right? But at the same time, there's also, you know, kind of freedom to be corrected, I suppose.
4: Yeah. I mean they've been slightly more nuanced actually if you look at what they've replied they've been slightly more nuanced and and talk about you know offensive content and illegal content um, uh, 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 and their responsibilities and they they have been slightly more nuanced and talking about their responsibilities for those uh, for those producers who may be uh, uh, creating something that's 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 totally untrue Uh, you know I suspect I think if you and I were in that organisation, um, these organi- you know, we would. There is a lot to sort at speed, and I'm sure this is as much about, you know, having to grapple with, you know, you know, very big, uh, you know, corporate issues at speed. They are having to grow up um, in every sense. You know, people will look back in a hundred years and look at the growth of those businesses as probably, you know, some of the fastest growing businesses in you know in history i i heard andy milman uh, talk about the new uh, grand tour for amazon and and you know he after asking for the producer guidelines was sent two pages of a4 and wow. you know these these are you know but but amazon said look you know um we trust you you know you're supplying us a program and we trust you to make that correctly um and you know amazon of course is now you know, essentially becoming one of the great global creators and distributors of content. And you know, uh, but five years ago they were, you know, essentially a, a an online retailer. So, you know, these companies are having to grow, grow up. You know, uh, perhaps isn't quite the right phrase, but you know what I mean. They're having to really grow in scale and and grow in the nature of what they do. And you know, I sort of feel that we should be encouraging and enabling. Uh, as as they do that because uh you know, there have got to be some real challenges for them as they do that.
1: Do you think that there's a fear of slowly dismantling some of those kind of more civic connections that these kind of institutional broadcasters have had, not just here, but if you also look across Europe, you know, I think of what happens in France and Denmark, for example, as, as other kind of places where, you know, a national broadcaster may have had that kind of more government backed kind of civic mm. duty. Do you think that given the nature of these, you know, kind of particularly kind of free market capital driven um platforms Mm. that they are never going to have quite the same responsibility or kind of governance as those kind of once produced government-backed organizations Um,
4: look I'm sure that's true and um, uh, you know I think that's a change we'll see but 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 we are you know we are still you and I James are living through this this industrial revolution this digital industrial revolution and um, you know I'm sure all of those things will catch up and you know, we will see, you know, in our lifetime, uh, I'm sure you will see some of these new uh, uh, content platforms, um, you know, taking on some of that role. It, 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 just, it just stands to reason. And, uh, you know, it's why governments, I think, are finally looking and starting to do those experiments.
1: And we're back. Thanks for that from Tim. And you can hear more from him in upcoming events as well as checking out more from the Media Net by following at the MediaNet on Twitter or joining us on Facebook. So one of the other major things that's happening this month, I think we're seeing an awful lot of um, movement towards is the role of the politician kind of coming on to be a broadcaster which i think is a really interesting kind of change this kind of direct access that they're going to start getting um and none other than mr nigel farage is uh starting up this week as we're recording it'll be uh, next week he starts um his four night a week one hour talk show spot on lbc um what's your kind of gut reaction to
2: that (laughs) (laughs) do you know what i think a lot of people are going to be listening aren't they because you know whether you like him or not um he holds a lot of power and people are going to be really interested in what he's saying yeah. i do think that dynamic's really interesting because you know the media is meant to in parts be impartial and when you are so obviously in a particular camp how how do you remain impartial you're clearly not doing impartial journalism in that um, in that capacity, but, mm. but you know, how far does LBC let him say certain things? And obviously, they've got to monitor to a certain extent, and it's just interesting. And if you're going to have him, do you then have someone else who holds completely opposing views to, in order to show balance?
1: Absolutely, and I think obviously LBC is a really interesting venue for that. that, that if you look at back at the history of people mm. that they've had on there doing shows, whether it's obviously, you know, kind of Ken Livingston's had a very long running uh, position there at LBC, Sue Khan's done the same thing, Nick Clegg's also mm. had kind of space there so there's been a kind of variety of different people from across the political spectrum obviously you can't really kind of have more opposite ends than Nick Clegg and Farage yeah. at the other but um, yeah I think it's a really interesting kind of dynamic of that talk show format for him to be kind of having was you know why, you know, why do you kind of get this platform and he's like well mm. I have something to say let them come at me if they've got yeah. if they disagree which obviously he's he's the person to kind of yeah. come and do that with
2: yeah I, th- I mean it's because it's, it's obviously very different from him being a guest on someone else's show Show where he's quite clearly got an agenda and you'd can you'd probably have a balanced panel of people this is kind of him yeah being the person and I think it'd be really interesting to see who they get and what questions they get to sort of be fired at him
1: well that kind of almost unfiltered thing I mean mm. obviously the, the, I think the guys who produce that show and all of the kind of uh, call in shows on, on LBC are very good at kind of managing mm. the right type of person that phones up yeah. but there's certainly that opportunity to kind of get the shocker I mean you know, if you look at some of the rants that have been doing the rounds from Steve Allen or James O'Brien on um, Facebook mm. in particular there seems this whole another layer to these chat shows now where it's not just about that one hour mm. where it's being recorded but they're obviously live streaming they're always on video and though you know what happens now of giving Farage this new platform mm. where he's not only got this one hour but it'll be minutes after that you'll begin to see the the little clips turning mm. up on Facebook in your news feed I think it's probably going to become a lot harder to avoid <laughs> than, um, than just not listening to it
2: Yeah and <laughs> it comes back down to kind of that modern way that we disseminate and, and see media particularly you know we were talking about young people doing that but you're not it's not um, LBC not just going to be listened to on that show at that time when it goes out it's going to be clipped up and watched on social media which is a, just an interesting facet of how we're consuming media
1: yeah and the potential for these things to be taken out of context as well I think you know, if you look back to obviously the Brexit campaign and the stuff that happened with Farage during that whole process obviously we can talk you know, if you want about that bus but technically it wasn't really his mm-hmm. but certainly the posters and things like that the, the kind of the, the scandals that he managed to embroil himself in those at least were coming out of campaign offices that were planned. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to him when put literally on the spot in a live instance. He's very good. He's very good at handling that. He's obviously entertaining as well. You know, you can not deny that he's an interesting kind of character to listen to and certainly has a lot of opinions whether you agree with them or not. But I think that's going to be a really interesting dynamic to just see how he deals with the public with no filter around it. If it happens, it happens and he's going to have to really kind of put up with that. Uh, What do you think is going to kind of change? Is that dynamic kind of going to do you think we're going to see more of that in the next year or so? More on yeah, politicians?
2: I mean, I think that's a really interesting thing, isn't there? Maybe it comes back to the celebrity culture, where we don't just sort of care what their agenda and their party line is. We want to know a bit about their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the Obamas are quite a good example of, you know, they've their children have been quite in the public eye, which seems to be quite an, uh, thus quite a rare thing when it comes to celebrities. But actually, that's been really nice. So there was a thing with Obama's daughter Snapchatting some of her friends and people were desperate to get a hold of her Snapchat and they didn't in the end. Um. But just that kind of... the the, the sort of behind the scenes of the celebrity and so i think i think there really is a, like a bit of a desire for that for for kind of the c- uh, celebrities and politicians like unhinged is definitely not the word uh unfiltered there we go unfiltered
1: <laughs> yeah Uh, I think that, you know, Farage is kind of an interesting standpoint, but I think you you see this kind of role of the shock jock Mm. in particular kind of changing a little bit. I mean, it's a very American concept, right? You kind of come from that kind of thing coming over here, and he's certainly one of those people that would, if anyone embodies the kind of the the shock jock, I mean, it's come a little bit particularly to LBC with people like Nick Ferrari and stuff in the past, but he's going to kind of present a new different dynamic, I suppose, to LBC, and you're right, it's an interesting Mm. one that he kind of can have a platform when whilst not elected and you know, obviously a lot of people have voted for UKIP in the last election and they didn't necessarily have somewhere to um, you know, kind of have that outlet. So mm-hmm. I think I think that's gonna be really interesting. and uh, whether or not the fact checkers are gonna be out after him, I think is gonna be <laughs> super fascinating. Yeah. You know, the uh, we've obviously kind of seen a lot in the past year as we kind of talk about twenty sixteen this whole idea of the post-truth um you know, when you're live and you're chatting that way there's not anyone editing or double checking the yeah. kind of facts i wonder maybe just how lbc are going to handle that if he or other presenters kind of go off script and off of the facts you know it's going to be a, a very difficult thing for them to kind of keep a handle on
2: yeah it is the post-truth thing is really interesting isn't it obviously the year of the word of 2016 um and I, I think it's all very well for us to kind of you know, slate people for post truth. Obviously, Donald Trump sort of became the byword for um, post truth, whether that's fair or not. Um, he sort of. I became... think it's fair. Okay, <laughs> sure. Just, you know, trying to keep my <laughs> options open. Um, he became the byword for sort of post truth stuff. But actually, I think it's really interesting. We sort of level it against politicians. But I do think that, you know, in the church and, well, in the media for sure but even in the church like do we exaggerate the number of people who've kind of made commitments do we exaggerate how well our ministries are going do we yeah. exaggerate how many people we've spoken to in our office about God yeah. and uh, and all of that and I, I guess there is kind of a sort of self-reflection element to the post-truth thing as well like what is truth and and yeah. you know who has a monopoly on truth yeah
1: and also you know sometimes exaggeration is the thing that gets people interested and so yeah, how much is it that we should remain that if you keep everything purely factual yeah. and, and the fact is, you know, the thing that people are fighting over at the moment, you know, what's a fact? You know, yeah. Is it my fact or your fact? I yeah. think that's, you're absolutely right. There is a element of you know, integrity and honesty that yeah. we have to hold ourselves to whilst also... We want, want a to,
2: clickbait title. Absolutely. You know, you know yeah. and as journalists, we, sh- we should be looking for lots of clicks on our article. But how do you do that while maintaining the truth? And where do you kind of stretch the facts and how do you stay integral to the story and it's it's an interesting one it's a really interesting one
1: yeah I think the dynamic for Christian journalists in particular I think that particularly those who are working you know I've got friends who are working in kind of commercial publications and the impetus to churn out more content mm. more you know kind of more of the time um, and or also being measured by so many more barometers than they ever were before you know gone are the days where someone can kind of go out on a three month feature story and spend time yeah. written, you know, just reporting it back once without having to also tweet every day and do a blog along the way that you know there's you've got to fill a lot more content than you ever did before and so i think that's going to be a big big shift actually as the kind of quality quantity kind of question yeah. comes up is that how do you fulfill that kind of clickbait title and make sure you get people in front of the story um which actually have something of substance that is honest and truthful behind it that's a really kind of interesting yeah. uh dynamic which they're they're going to kind of have to to put up with um, and I think one of the other kind of trends that we're seeing a lot more of is kind of connected to that. It was that I've seen more people turning off comments as well from news sections mm. in recent days, which kind of I, someone I was having a kind of argument slash heated conversation with someone on <laughs> Facebook the other day about this. And it's well, what's the point of having that ability to comment on what is a quote unquote news article? Yeah. Um, actually I think there's a massive role for comment there, I, you know, I personally would kind of go against those guys turning off comments because where else are you going to kind of yeah. get that accountability if people well, are coming I, back? Well I
2: think that's the thing isn't it traditional media, so in my background is television traditional media it would be the voice of the experts kind of broadcasting their opinion and what's so amazing about social media is actually we're all on to a certain extent a level playing field and everyone's got a voice mm. and actually if you turn off that capacity for people to have a voice then you're just going back to broadcast media and quite frankly we've moved along from that so we can't just sort of be going back into the dark edges and yes there are experts and obviously i'm not going to pretend that i know as much as a neuroscientist you know who's commenting on a, on a particular <laughs> sure. thing I mean, I mean nearly i know, I know. nearly yeah. as much. Yeah, it's not far but that's still that i still have a valid opinion and you know we live in a country that has freedom of speech and therefore just because you don't agree with what i'm mm. saying i still have the right to say that
1: yeah but you also have the right to be challenged that you're wrong yeah, which absolutely. i think is the really interesting one and i think you know when we saw a lot of, particularly with what's happened with trump where you know the facts checkers were coming out and saying this is not right like yeah. what, what you're saying is actually factually incorrect and then people start coming up and saying no it's just my opinion well yeah. unfortunately some things are true and some things aren't yeah. and i think that's the the real challenge that as christians in journalism particularly this year we're going to have to fight back on that kind of post-truth thing of 2016 is you know kind of sticking to the facts and the yeah. option for kind of right of reply is still should still be a right to everybody yeah.
2: But that's a really interesting philosophical question of, of like, what is truth? How do we know what's true and all of that? And actually, that's something that as Christians, we need to kind of know, you know, obviously my background is also apologetic. So yeah. I'm big on kind of knowing why you believe what you do. And I think actually, um, you know, for years as a Christian, I had no idea why I believed what I did. Mm. And actually, I think we, you know, we need to know some of that. We need to know what's true and what is just an opinion and the fact that people have different opinions. But but this is actually truth
1: absolutely well if you've got opinions about this or other topics you can always good come back segue. to us good <laughs> <laughs> beautiful and, yeah I love a good segue and and the ones you ride on as well as the ones that you say um, and so if you want to share your thoughts on anything we are speaking out today then you can absolutely do that you always have right of reply with us <laughs> you can do that via twitter uh, just tweet us at the media net and use the hashtag signal so we know you're chatting about the podcast or you can visit us on facebook as well just search for the MediaNet and go and leave us a comment there. Which we won't delete. No, the comments will remain and uh, we will come back and give you our thoughts on that over there on Facebook and also next month when we return for another episode of Signal. Thanks to Ruth for joining me this month and to Premier Christian Radio for lending us some studio space. You can find out more about The MediaNet by visiting www.themedianet.org or you can follow up with us on Twitter or Facebook. Until next month, we'll see you then. Bye. Thanks for joining us for Signal, a podcast from the Medianet. And if you liked what you heard, why not go ahead and subscribe to the show? You can do that over on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And while you're there, why not leave us a review? Go ahead and leave us a star rating and we would love to get your feedback. Until next month, we hope you enjoyed Signal, a podcast from the Medianet.